chapter and the first 13 verses. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible Translation. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all Baal's prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this message. May the gods do whatever they want to me. If by this time tomorrow I haven't made your life like one, like the life of one of them. Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. He arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. He himself went further on into the desert, a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly a messenger tapped him and said to him, Get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes and saw a flat bread baked on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank and then went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said, eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Elijah got up, ate and drank, and went refreshed by that food for 40 days and nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord's word came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars, and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they want to take my life too. The Lord said, Go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound, thin, quiet. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went out and stood at the cave's entrance. A voice came to him and said, why are you here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? Good and gracious God, we give thanks for your spirit and your presence that fills our lives and fills our world. And we pray that through that spirit, we will hear your word for us today. Amen. So this week, we are continuing the story of the prophet Elijah. So I want to start with a really quick recap of what happened last week. Elijah is the prophet of Israel, but it is tough sledding because Israel had this bad king named Ahab, and he's married to this foreign princess named Jezebel. And Ahab, sort of in our story last week, starts worshiping the foreign god Baal instead of worshiping the true god of Israel. This, of course, 
irks Elijah to no end, so he challenges the prophets of Baal to a god-off, basically a contest to see whose god is best. Or more specifically, a contest to see whose god will make a cow spontaneously combust. It's in there. It's this big scene at the top of a mountain where the prophets of Baal fail. They cry out to their god and nothing happens. And then Elijah prays to the, to the Lord and his cow goes up in smoke. It is, uh, well, actually, here's a picture of what it might have looked like if everyone was right and the Middle East was covered in green grass. <laughs> Just, you know, maybe something like that. It, it would seem that the point of the story is, is that our God is the most powerful, right? But as we saw last week, this contest was really about whose God was listening. The story teaches us that God is listening, that God answers prayer. And this spectacle also shows that God doesn't come in anger to destroy the prophets of a foreign god. Rather, it's more like God woos the audience with promises of grace and faithfulness. But ironically, Elijah doesn't quite understand this. So after this scene where you know his cow goes up in smoke and God decides not to destroy the prophets of Baal, Elijah takes things into his own hands and kills them all himself. And that's actually right about where our reading picked up today. Turns out, Queen Jezebel was not so happy to learn that Elijah killed all of the prophets. So she vows to kill him. Uh, Elijah, who tried to end this dispute with violence, realizes that violence only creates more violence, and he'll be next. So he runs for his life. He heads down to Beersheba, which is outside of the northern kingdom of Israel, where Elijah is a wanted man. So, so now, Elijah's in, Elijah is the prophet of Israel, but he's not in Israel. Elijah is safe, but he just abandoned the people he was called to serve. So Elijah has no purpose, which causes deep existential depression. And the description of Elijah's depression sounds like it could have been written today, because despite thousands of years, what it is to be a human struggling with depression doesn't seem to have changed. I mean, listen to how it's described or what Elijah does, he, first Elijah sends away his assistant and wanders into the desert to be alone with his sadness. He, he has no will to live, so he calls out to God and says, go ahead, end it now, kill me. And then he falls asleep, which you know is kind of one of the body's natural responses to depression. And Elijah here, Elijah's God's prophet, the one person who chose to bring God's truth to a wandering people, 
but even he can't go on any longer. So God comes to him in the most gentle and gracious way. God provides companionship and warm food. An angel wakes him up and feeds him. But Elijah just goes right back to sleep. So again, the angel returns, offering food and direction. The angel sends him to Mount Horeb, and Elijah gets out of bed. It seems like Elijah's still in crisis, but, but he's moving. He's traveling to Mount Horeb to hear from God. And y'all might not have recognized the name Mount Horeb, but you actually know the mountain that I'm talking about, because Mount Horeb has two names. The other one is Mount Sinai. Elijah is traveling to the place where God met Moses, where God spoke to Moses. And last week, I noted that there's actually a bit of a parallel between Elijah's story here and that section of Exodus 32 through 34, where, if you remember, Mount Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and the people start worshiping the golden calf, and then it's a big scene, and God decides to forgive the people rather than killing them. But then the, the Levites, the priests, slot, kill the people anyways. And after that, that slaughter, Moses goes up the mountain to talk to God. And in a similar way, Elijah is being called up that very same mountain. So he knows what's coming. He, he knows he's going to speak to God. And, and actually, just like Moses, Elijah climbs the mountain. And he finds a cave where he can rest. So he's in that cave when he hears a voice that calls out, What are you doing here, Elijah? That, that almost sounds like an annoying question. Like, well, shouldn't you be the one to answer that, God? I mean, you sent me here? It, it might sound silly, but, but remember, the, the point of last week's story was that, that this is the God who listens to us. The God who loves us enough and respects us enough to, to allow us to name what we want. This, it actually, this reminds me of, there's just this little uh, story in Mark 10 where there's a blind man who comes up to Jesus to be healed, and, and Jesus turns to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man's like, what? what give me sight, just like every other blind man who comes to you. But, but what's happening here is Jesus and, well, God is, is honoring the will of the individual. God is listening. So like that, God asks Elijah. And Elijah trusts God enough to be honest. I mean, Elijah, Elijah kind of lets God have it. He explains to God how, how he's done everything right, Elijah's done everything right, and, and Israel has done everything wrong by following Ahab. Elijah's self-righteousness is, is beaming so brightly that he can't see anything but himself. He, he's so kind of self-focused that he almost seems annoyed 
that God's been gracious with Israel. God's given Israel a second chance when Elijah seems to want them to have been punished. Uh, like, it's like uh, God gave Israel a carrot when Elijah wanted to give them a stick. And again, this is, Elijah's so relatable in this story throughout. He's so human. This is exactly how we respond when we feel like we've been wronged. We want some sort of cosmic justice that will show the world that we were right all along. And that's, that's sort of where Elijah's at emotionally. But, but what he fails to see is that he needs God's grace and God's patience just as much as Israel. Because Elijah's not innocent here. I mean, Elijah's got a body count. But Elijah, Elijah's not there yet. He, he feels like he's right and everyone else is wrong. So God simply tells Elijah, go stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Y'all, this is terrible news. I mean, in one sense. In another sense, it looks like Elijah's about to get what he asked for in, in the depths of his depression. Because that sentence right there, the Lord is about to pass by, that's a death sentence. Because no one could be in the presence of God and live. It, it was widely known that if you saw God, you died on the spot. And, and now Elijah is in a cave waiting for God, waiting for death to come, when, when suddenly there's this giant wind that, that splits the mountain apart. Rocks are cascading down while Elijah hides in his cave. But then the wind stops, and Elijah knows that God wasn't in the wind. This was not the presence of God. But suddenly there's a huge earthquake the mountain is, is shaking and lurching as he clings to the floor of his cave. But then again, the ground stops shaking, and Elijah knows that, that God was not in the earthquake. This was not the presence of God. But before Elijah can really even catch his breath, the fire rains down on the mountain. His, his cave is like a giant oven that will surely kill him. But before he perishes, the fire stops. And Elijah knows that God was not in the fire. This was not the presence of God. So Elijah must have just been preparing himself for the next onslaught. When silence envelops the mountain. Uh, our text, I think we... Uh, this, the CEB calls it the thin silence. Other translations call it the still, small voice of God. Uh, one of my, my friends is a Hebrew scholar, and she said, she translated it in a way that I love. She said that the essence of this term is crushed silence. So in the midst of that crushed silence, Elijah gets over his fear and leaves his cave to meet God. Only once 
Has anyone stood in the presence of God and survived? And it was actually on this mountain. Many years ago, the presence of the Lord passed by Moses, and it changed his appearance forever. But he survived, and he actually he turns his back so he doesn't actually see God. So Elijah does something sort of similar. He takes his scarf, and he wraps it around his face so he won't actually see God and he steps out of his cave. He, again, sort of repeats what he said to God the time before, that that he's been zealous while Israel has rebelled. But his words feel different this time, because Elijah is no longer hiding in his cave. He's experienced the power and glory of of wind and rock and fire. He knows the violence that God could inflict, but now he knows that God comes in silence. And, and there's a, a deep irony here to, to the grace that Elijah receives, because so far in our story, Elijah's been asking God, like I said, for, for more carrot, less stick more punishment, less reward. But now that Elijah's in the position of the one deserving punishment, God won't dole out the punishment Elijah's been asking for. God doesn't punish Elijah any more than any of those wayward Israelites who worshiped Baal. Instead, God comes in grace. Elijah's standing there with his his scarf over his face when finally he hears the audible voice of God telling him that he has a new task. He will again be the prophet of Israel. Despite his transgressions, nothing has changed between Elijah and God. I mean, it's, it's sort of like Elijah gets his old job back. And this, actually, this reminds me somewhat of of when Jesus appears to the disciples, particularly in John, for the first time after the resurrection, where they're hiding up in the room, a room, then they're they're ridden, ridden with guilt for abandoning Jesus in his time of need. But in the midst of that, Jesus shows up and treats them the same way he always treated them. Nothing has changed. Jesus doesn't rake them over the coals. Instead, Jesus, like, again, rehires the disciples and gives them the job of starting the church. And and this is because God cares a lot more about using us to do God's will than settling the score. Ultimately, God wants us back on track. That's the goal of repentance. And that's what happens with Elijah. God rehires him. He, specifically, God tells Elijah that, well, that he's not alone, that he'll have a new prophet named Elisha to train. God lets him know that Ahab's days are numbered and there will be a new king of Israel. And God encourages Elijah by saying, you're not alone. In fact, there are 7,000 people in Israel who never worshipped 
Baal and will support Elijah. And, and God does actually acknowledge that there will be violence to come in that confrontation between Ahab and Jezebel, but not by the hand of Elijah. This, this story, well, well there's a lot, a, a lot of, of different ways that I think we can connect and things to learn from. And what's, for me, been the most powerful and meaningful has been, uh, has been God's presence in that subtle silence. I think, too, especially because so many of the, the stories from the Bible that we tell are big and dramatic and amazing and inspirational and miraculous and can be sometimes hard to relate to. And, and I think... I found meaning in this story in the midst of, of a shift in my own spirituality where I focused less on, on finding answers and more on a, a prayer life that rarely uses words and instead sits in quiet and prepares like my soul for the inward journey to the self where God awaits me. And and, I, and I've got more on that, and that's just me. And, and this story, it, it does have so much. This is a story about God coming alongside us in our darkest moments, offering love and care through the hands of others. This is a story of, of restoration, where God's presence and God's grace are found in silence and subtlety. This is a story for people struggling to find God in a noisy world that pushes us beyond what we think we can handle. And, and a lot has changed since the days of Elijah, but a lot is the same. We still live in a world that clamors for a big dramatic God who will vindicate us with power and vengeance. But what we find in our midst is a God who awaits us in the stillness that remains. Amen.